0: Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 27. But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings. He took Peter and John and James, and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen.
1: Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your revealed word. And as we come to it, We ask that you would pull away the scales from our eyes, open our ears that we may hear. Give us faith to believe these words. Lord, cause the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart to be pleasing in your sight. And may your word be a fitting word for your church. May it build up and strengthen your church as we do the work of ministry, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to be back. It's good to be back with our church family and uh, a blessing to continue our study through the book of Luke. On January 8th, 1956, Jim Elliott and four friends, seeking to follow Christ's command to go make disciples of all nations, were murdered by the Alka Indians. Jim Elliot is often quoted saying he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. There's a unique perspective that Jim Elliot had. A perspective on life and what the purpose of this life is all about. I believe... Perspective comes with maturity. Seeing things in a proper way and getting a right perspective. I pray today that as we see Christ on display, we have the correct perspective of who he is. And in light of who he is, who we are. For what we believe about Christ is fleshed out in how we live and first of all as we look at our passage I feel somewhat uh, like i'm repeating myself because two weeks ago we looked at christ uh, the confession of peter about uh, jesus is the christ the christ of god but just as luke was reminding theophilus in this letter so he's reminding us in case we didn't get it the first time, here's another example of Christ's glory on display and the, who he was. And let's look first of all at the reality of a glorious Christ. John Owen said, One of the greatest privileges and advancements of believers both in this world and to eternity consists in their beholding the glory of Christ. I find it amazing how God orchestrates things in our lives where we've been going through the Behold Your God study. The last couple days I had the privilege of being at at least part of the uh, uh, the Fear of God conference. And really it was, the, the theme of the conference was look at how amazing God is and let us stand in awe and be transformed by who He is. And that's the same message today in the person of Christ But look at our text, verse 28. It came to pass about eight days after these sayings that Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Now as Luke is writing this, he writes this and he speaks of the mountain. There's that that article there that helps us to know that there's a specific mountain that he has in mind. But Luke doesn't tell us necessarily which mountain that was. Uh, some say Mount Hermon. Some say uh, uh, up near Caesarea Philippi. We don't know. It was a mountain. And the purpose was Christ went up to pray. But he only took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And we'll, we'll see as we continue through Luke that Peter, James, and John are what we call the inner three. Not that they had some special grace, but there was a, a unique position that they played in the, the apostles. Kind of like in, in a leadership structure in a company. There are those, the, the, the CEO or whatever, cannot be uh, as intricately involved in everybody's life, but in the timing of, of Christ and the preparation of, and those three Peter James and John would play a unique role in the expansion of the church we see that as Jesus was praying verse 29 the appearance of his face was altered was literally it was a metamorphosis had taken place that which was was changing Jesus did not change His humanity, but there's a sense in which we see a little picture of His glory on display. Kind of like Mount Sinai, when Moses says, Lord, show me Your glory. And as Moses spent that time communing with the Lord, he came down from the mountain, and what had to happen? The people had to cover his face. Because he had been with God. And here in our passage today, Christ is seeking to show us His glory. He sought to show the glory of God in all the fullness. As He said in John 17 in His high priestly prayer, in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom You gave Me may be with Me where I am, that they may behold My glory which You had given Me, for You loved Me before the foundation of the world." This glory is not a a glory that was just given to Him in His incarnation. It is what He possessed throughout all of eternity. For He was the Son of Man from creation and time before creation to the end of time. Daniel spoke of this and we saw some of this a little bit. uh, Speaking of the Son of Man in Daniel 7. Let me read, just speaking of this pre-incarnate Christ, looking ahead to Christ's incarnation, what Daniel wrote. He said, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire, a fiery stream issued. And came forth from him a thousand thousands ministered to him ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him The court was seated and books were opened. I was watching the night visions behold One like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. and His kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. This prophecy was given 700 years before Christ's incarnation. Looking ahead and showing the people as Daniel proclaimed these prophecies, there is a glorious one yet to come. Here in our passage today, we're seeing that glorious one on display. But His glory was not just in time past, it was not in the time of Luke, it was also in time yet still to come. As He was the one who walked among the lampstands in Revelation 1, verses 12-18, to John writes, the same John who is here, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about his chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, and white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. His voice is the sound of many waters." He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. As, as I was getting ready to leave Asheville to, to head home, uh, Gary and I were talking and, and he said, hey, what's one thing that you kind of have walked away from the, this conference? He said, you know what, I've been praying that somehow in my feeble words when I open the word of God each Sunday that we would see the beauty and the glory of God. But I feel like All I have is this little offering that every word that I ever speak, and as I prepared, I just kept going back to Scripture. Because from beginning to end, this book shows us the glory of Christ. And that we would just begin to see it more and more. Think of the explanation or the descriptions that John gives there in Revelation. Those are somewhat of a description of what we see here in Luke. Christ's glory on display. For in the infinite wisdom of God, God the Son became flesh. And in the becoming flesh, there was a veiling of His glory as He took on humanity. In John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 1 Corinthians 1, 24, and then verse 30 say, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power and the wisdom of God, both of Him you are in Christ, who became for us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Notice what takes place here in verse 29. It, as Luke records this, it says, as he, was a pray, a, a, excuse me, as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. I think it's in Matthew's Gospel that he says, it shone like the sun. I appreciate it in J.C. Ryle's notes. He said, it is one of the, speaking of this passage, it is one of those passages which we should always read with peculiar thankfulness. I kind of paused there before I continued. I was like, okay, where is he going with this? He says, because it lifts a corner of the veil which hangs over the world to come and it throws light on some of the deepest truths of our religion. It is kind of like there was a bit of a veil pulled back. That Peter, James, and John saw Christ in this this glory that was yet to come. Like Revelation 21, 23 says, The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. So when His face shone, that's who Christ is right now, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Just like Paul in Colossians, and we've considered this passage in our Behold Your God study, is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in, all the full, that in all things that he may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness of deity should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And then Hebrews 1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke In time past, to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. who being the brightness of of His glory and express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. All these passages still fall short to show us the glory of Christ. But they give us a snippet, a snippet that I pray that God uses to challenge us to say, is that how I view Christ? Is this the Christ that I have pictured in my mind? Or do I just have a Christ who kind of fits the comfortable or the things that I need? Our text speaks of Christ and in all of his glory. And I, I, I had read the passage a number of times until verse 32, I chuckled. Because I put two and two together, that the glory of Christ is on display. Moses and Elijah are there. And what's happening with the disciples? They're sleeping. And how easy it is for us, too, to be asleep, to to be missing the glory of God that's on display. Now, we see in verse 32 they were heavy with sleep. I kind of know that feeling driving through the night a couple of weeks ago. I felt that. But this is something so great that wakes anyone up when we see the glory of Christ. They saw His glory and the two men who stood with Him. Then it happened, verse 33, as they were parting from him, that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. I, I like Luke's little comment there. He, he really wasn't thinking carefully about what he was saying. In a sense, that's what Luke is saying. And I appreciate the humanity of the disciples that in the, in the midst of all this glory... But let us think about what are the implications or maybe ramifications of a glorious Christ here in our text and and bringing these implications to bear in our own lives. First of all, think of why, or asking the question, why did Luke include this passage to Theophilus here? And it's good for us to keep asking those questions. Why is Luke recording this? What, what about the context of this makes this important? And what was the text last week? I think those who are here this week weren't here last week, and those who are here, no. Last week we looked, and you can even just take a peek at the heading, to take up our cross and to follow Christ. The cost of discipleship. And think about it. When we understand the glory of Christ, I think first of all it emboldens our obedience. For we understand who is it that we are following. It's fall and uh, it's football time in America. And one of the things I've never quite understood is like the halftime speeches by coaches and beforehand and and how they just kind of rile guys up. Sometimes I feel like. Wouldn't you get tired of those? But yet you hear these coaches give these speeches, and and the players are just willing to do whatever it takes. And that's a human. That's a human coach speaking. How much more and how much greater should we who see our glorious Christ on display say, Lord, I want to obey. I, I want to follow you. You're not just some fallen man. You're the Christ, the one who has come. In view of Christ, to give our life and to follow Him in all of His glory is nothing. James Montgomery Boyce said, There is a defect, even a fatal defect, in the life of the church of Christ in the 20th century. We could conclude in the 21st century as well. What is this defect, he says? A lack of true discipleship. For the genuine Christian, discipleship means forsaking everything to follow Christ. But for many of today's supposed Christians, perhaps the majority, it is the case, it is the case that while there is much talk about Christ and even much furious activity that is supposed to be done in His name, there is actually very little following of Christ. And that means that in some circles, at least, there's a very little genuine Christianity. Many who fervently call him Lord, Lord are not Christians. It causes us to examine our own lives and to say, who am I following? Am am I leading and saying, hey, Jesus, come alongside? Or is it, no, hey, Christ, here's who you are. I'm following you and causes us to walk in obedience. Jim Elliott's perspective, he understood that we're going to lose this world anyways. We are but a breath. We're not here long, and everything that we chase is a chasing after the wind. It does not satisfy, but he understood what did satisfy. A Savior who is worth more than anything. kind of look at verse 33 when Peter wants to build the, the three little tabernacles or booths and you kind of say what are you thinking Peter well, what what's going on here why why was he why was he saying that why was he trying to do that um, it's clear by Luke's comment At the end of verse 33, when he says, not knowing what he said, that Peter missed the whole point. So what was the point? It's a reminder that Christ is not on par with Moses and Elijah. To have the three of them sit down to be our teachers. But Christ is the all-glorious Christ. And in context... Of verse 35, when the cloud comes over them, the voice of God speaks audibly and says, This is my son. What does he say? Hear him. To listen. And it should sharpen our hearing. When we recognize who Christ is, it should cause us to listen carefully. It's not just some random person talking but someone with all wisdom and all knowledge. You might notice that I kind of skipped over verse 27 in the beginning of our time looking at this passage. And When Jesus says, But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. There's some differences of opinions on how we interpret this passage. What does he mean by to see the kingdom of God? One possible explanation is that the disciples will see the kingdom come with power either at the resurrection of Christ or at Pentecost. Another view is that Jesus was referring to the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Some would argue that it was Jesus referring to the transfiguration. Another one that Jesus expected the second advent within a few years but was wrong to think so. I mean, the the first four are all potentials. The last one is heresy. For in him all the wisdom possesses, and yet to say that Jesus was wrong? There's a great understanding of, or um, there are discrepancies. I I would argue that because of the context, this is referring to Christ's transfiguration here it's not something i think we divide over i i think the point of it is is that this is something that had to have taken place in the life of these apostles whether it was pentecost or whether it here is at the transfiguration and i believe both of those would be acceptable but the key of this is we see that the kingdom of god is a a glorious kingdom a kingdom that its disciples are to follow to follow its great leader with great abandonment, with great faith, with great listening as God the Father says, to listen. for Christ had authority. the Transfiguration narrative it, it confirms that the, the importance of us listening to Christ. John Calvin says on this verse about listen to him it says, He's, he writes, We are placed under his tuition alone and commanded from him alone to seek the doctrine of salvation, to depend on and to listen to the one, to adhere to the one, in a word, as the terms import, to hearken to the one only. You have Moses and Elijah, somewhat represent the Old Testament. Moses being the law, Elijah being a picture of the prophets. But even Moses himself said in Deuteronomy 18:15, "The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren; him you shall hear." And Peter in Acts 3:22 he quotes Moses saying those things. While Moses and Elijah were wonderful and faithful people, They were still just people. They were fallen. But it was those that show us our need and our hope for Christ. In John 5, 39, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life, and they are which testify of me. One of the things that I... I had not seen, and uh, I appreciate J.C. Ryle's comments on this, but he made a note, and I, I put it in my own words, that the glory of Christ here on display should increase our anticipation of his return. Why is that? When we see Moses and Elijah with him, it reminds us that the promise of eternal life with him is a reality. I never thought of that before. I've read this passage and I've even preached this passage before. And I've never thought of Moses and Elijah are really showing that God is faithful to his promises. That there is a communion with him through all eternity. For Moses and Elijah were with him. That there is a life after death. Moses at this time had been dead for over 1,500 years. Elijah had been taken up over 900 years ago. And yet they were there in glory. Look at the verse. Um, Excuse me, verse 31. And behold, two men walked with him, and who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory. It's a reminder that God is faithful to the promises to fulfill. And to fulfill for those who are in Christ. But lastly, I believe the implication is that it should strengthen our faith. To be reminded that our faith is not in of ourselves. We didn't see it in our parallel passage or, or in, our, uh, in Peter's confession. But in Matthew, Jesus says to Matthew, And upon this rock, I will build my church. And we begin to see, really from here to about chapter 19 of Luke, that Jesus is really focusing on preparing His apostles to be workers in the kingdom. And as He is showing His glory, it reminds them time and time again that we can trust this Christ, that what He says, we can take Him at His word. We can trust His plan. Little did they realize what that plan all entailed. For Jesus has even twice now has told them about His death to come and they're still not quite catching it. But again, how do we view Christ? Are we just beholding a counterfeit? Or are we beholding the real Christ? Because a low view of Christ will not embolden our obedience. A little view of Christ will not cause us to listen to Him carefully. We'll just put Him on par with others. A little view of Christ will not give us a great anticipation for glory. For who would want to be with that Christ that often can be in our minds? for all eternity. And a little Christ, it will not strengthen our faith. It will be like putting our faith in just another human being that will let us down. But when we see the glory of Christ, it should radically transform our lives. It's interesting in verse 36, when the voice had ceased, Luke writes, Jesus was found alone. The cloud is gone. Moses and Elijah are gone. But look at what Peter, James, and John. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things that they had seen. I don't know what to do with those words. Because it doesn't make sense to me. Because we have those who were healed of diseases and what did they want to do? They wanted to go proclaim it even when Jesus told them to be quiet. So either they're being very obedient to Jesus' words that we don't have recorded, but that's arguing from silence. Or they still aren't getting it. There's another potential. Or they're either so in awe that they can't say anything. But how would we respond? And how do we respond today? Do we long to see him as Colossians three four says, When Christ who is our life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Second Corinthians three eighteen, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit. Of the Lord. We sang the great hymn, Rock of Ages, and the final verse. <clears throat> when my eyes shall close in death, when I rise to worlds unknown, and behold thee on thy throne. Can it be true? Is that our hope? Paul writes 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. And then 1 John 3, 2. Beloved now, we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Here at the Transfiguration, it's just a little pulling back to see the glory of Christ. but that was given to disciples who were to be the foundation of the church. Who too, by history and tradition, say all but one gave their life as a martyr. But how are we going to respond today? Because even having spent time and maybe you were able to watch part of the Uh, the online stream of the Fear of God conference, we can think about it and we can get a great idea of, yes, I need to fear God. Yes, it should impact my life. But it just still stays there in an academic mindset. But when we behold the glory of Christ, how does it change us? Does it cause us Like verse 34, when the cloud came over them, they were fearful. They saw themselves and they were fearful in view of what was taking place. Do we stand in awe? Do we stand and not just stand, but are we transformed? The more we see the beauty of Christ... As Paul said in Philippians 3, we count all the things as rubbish. As we see the glory of Christ, the things of this world grow strangely dim, as that famous song says. But when we see the glorious Christ, our sin is also displayed. It's brought about to us. But it's in that same glorious Christ we find our forgiveness. Each of us, I believe, God is working differently. But maybe jot down on a note and be asking yourself this week, what does the glorious Christ mean to me today? Not how do I interpret it and how do I make Jesus like me? But what does the truth of Christ's glory, what does that look like? How does it change how I do my day to day? The things I talk about, the things that I'm doing, how I'm working. But most of all, as I was challenged by J.C. Ryle to see the future glory and the promise of that, is it causing me to think about the joy of that? I pray that it is, and I pray that, that Christ is our hope and our joy, that Christ is all to us. And that if all we had was Him, that that would be enough. For that is the true test of a disciple's heart, to deny ourselves, to set ourselves aside as we saw last week, and to follow Christ. May these truths be said of us, let's pray. Father, what an amazing, glorious Christ we've been able to to see a glimpse of here in this passage. Lord, I pray that this morning would not just be a thing to check off on our list. That our minds aren't already running ahead to the list of things, even to prepare for a fellowship meal but Lord, that we would just sit and dwell upon the truth of our glorious Christ. and Lord, as we leave this place, that, and even as we still have time to respond, to respond in adoration through singing, to respond in how we speak to one another and what we speak about during our fellowship meal, Lord, that Christ would be foremost. That Christ would be chief. That Christ would be our great love and desire. Lord, grow that in us today. Lord, that you might find us faithful. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We have opportunity to go to our Lord's Supper and to be reminded of our hope of salvation and let's just take a few moments, maybe of reflection on our time in God's Word, but also a, a time of examination as Paul says, to examine ourselves that we might, those of us who are in Christ, take the Lord's Supper with clean hands. Let's pray.